There you It's okay? Okay. Oh, this one. There's too many things to push. They're all, they're all working. Yeah, this one's this one? Yeah. Om O Mangalam Gurudevaya Devi Matrikya Mangalam Mangalam Bhakta Brindevyo Sarvalokaya Mangalam Om Stapakaya Chudarmasya Sarvadharma Sarupine Avatara Varishtaya Ramakrishnaya Mangalam Om Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo Maheshwara, Guru Revo Param Brahmantasmai Sri Guru Venamaha, Om Sarashiva Samarambam Shankaracharya Madhyamam, Ashmarachara Prayantam, Vande Gurum Param Param, Vande Gurum Param Param. Sri Guru Bhyonamaha, Ganeshaya Namaha, Saraswati Namaha. Are we good? Ayama. So we are going to, the time changes tomorrow, I think, right? So tomorrow could be dark by five. And today it could be dark before we would finish. That's why I decided to move already by, by six o'clock. It's, we'll be shivering outside. So this is our first, we'll have to, I think we'll have to move inside for the winter. It's fall and winter. Hopefully the weather gets nice. The heat and like it. We'll start outside again. <coughs> but I'm missing the duni. Would have been nice. So last week we cancelled due to some things. I think a few, and then the week before that, I think we had puja, isn't it? Was it Amabasha or something? Yeah, two weeks ago. The week before that, I think we were we reading from the from the Bhakti Yoga Swami Vivekananda. So we'll continue from that. And I think with sections we've we read the definitions of bhakti. The philosophy of Ishwara, the spiritual reali- spiritualization, the aim of Bhakti Yoga, and then we're skipping two sections they call, uh, called the need of the Guru and the qualifications, qualifications of the aspirant and the teacher. Because those we talked about on Guru Purnima, so we we jumped into that. So we can. So if you want, if you're trying to follow that, just go back to the talks on Guru Purnima. We spoke on. We read those and spoke on that. So the bhakti yoga is, is a small. It's the smallest of the um, of the four yogas. So I mean, it's, it makes a like a, not a book. It's a booklet, right? Jnana uh, yoga is large. Raja yoga is large. Karma yoga is small, and bhakti yoga is booklet size. It's half dozen or a dozen small chapters. But in the in a small package, he puts a lot, right? And he's explaining. Uh, in certain sense, either bhakti yoga is a simple, simple thing. Love God, say His name, you know, worship puja, uh, japa, kirtan. Uh, they're not complicated ideas, but he's presenting these ideas to an audience that knows nothing about them. We've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that this is a very educated audience, but complete, but not educated in the basics of Hinduism. They know the general Hindu philosophy. These are all intelligent, intellectual people of the time. But like when he starts talking about the Ishta, which hopefully we'll get to. It's one of the chapters I wanted to read today. Let's see if we get to it. Uh, uh, 
this idea doesn't exist. We don't have the Ishti idea in, in Western philosophy exactly. So he's having to give it. So it came to me reading this some a year ago or so. Like really, he's exp- he, he have to understand some of you kind of four yogas is explaining uh, basic ideas to smart people that don't know anything about it, right? So you have to get you have to, we have to understand it that way. So in the chapter that I'm skipping, like we spoke before, he's talked about guru and the importance of uh, uh, the guru and disciple relationship, qualification of the guru, qualification of the disciple, and in Vedanta. In, in the bhakti traditions, we have the uh, uh, we have the, the idea of a bit of a super guru, the the, the avatar, right? Uh, and Swami Sharananda in, in the in the in the Lila Prashanga the translated Swami Chaitanya, you have a beautiful new translation of that. He goes a lot into it. Where the idea of because in Vedanta there's no avatar. It's not a Vedanta, It's not a it's not a, it's not a philosophy in the Advaita schools of Vedanta. So he's trying to show where, it, but but in Vedanta, people are they have the, the avatar idea, but the classical school does not have the avatar idea. So he tries to show that in the Vedic tradition, there's this, these great souls, Mahapurushas, and uh, such. There, and there's gurus, of course. The guru guru disciple tradition is always there. Those who know the truth can can teach you. But there's a there is a, a, a stratification of gurus. Not every guru is the same. Every guru is a guru, but not every guru is the same, right? There's some that are um, have tremendous power, right? Not just tremendous realization, but along with that realization, they have a power to transmit it. It seems some have a power to transmit it through the ages. So we give them a bit of a special uh, qualific- uh, uh, title. So Swami Sharanana shows how that's some of the idea of how the avatar idea came in the classical Advaita Vedanta. In the Bhakti school of Vedanta, they have a different. You have they have in the Puranas like that. You really, we have the idea of, of Vishnu taking avatar for this, and the Gita saying whenever there is a decline in Dharma and a rise in Adharma, in order to protect the good and to destroy the wicked, I'm born in every age, again and again in every age. So we have that already idea established. But now Swamiji is going to try to explain this idea of the of the incarnation as the focus of devotion, right? So first he established the Guru, and then he's jumping into Beyond the Guru, we have this particular way of thinking of the divine as a, as a, almost a superhuman type of being. So we'll, we'll read. It's a small, it's only two pages. This chapter, but it's very uh, powerful. This is from a chapter called Incarnations. Whenever His name is spoken, that very place is holy. Sri Ramakrishna said that a, that a, a holy place becomes holy because people, devotees, chant God's name there. Right? Kali Mandir is a holy place. Everybody feels it. Right? And in something, you know, the place was good, and God chose a good place, Usha chose a good place. <laughs> right? We found a beautiful, the scriptures mentioned should be private, it should be beautiful, it should be clean, have good air, near a river, there's, there's, strata, there's qualifications for choosing a beautiful site. There's some auspicious signs on the property also directional, according to Vastu, things like that. We didn't choose those consciously, but these, this place has those, that, those qualities. But more and, ab- more and above this, because some, some mantras were chanted here uh, by Haradanji, Haradanji Chakrabarti, the priest, right? And the, the deity was installed, Pranapratistana, whatever, we can go into that, what that means as we go along, right? But something, you see, some, it's, a, it's one, somebody, some priest brought from, chiseled in Jaipur and bought in Calcutta, and brought over on, sent on Japanese airline, 
right? Japan Air, right? Some stone image, right? And then the priests came and they did something, right? They chanted something, right? With some potency, right? And 25 years later, thousands of people's lives have changed, right? What has happened, right? In one sense, nothing's happened. Stone image, you know, <laughs> eccentric Brahmin, right? But something happened, right? So this is unusual. This is a very specific rite and a very powerful person from Dakshinishwar who spent his 50, at that point, 53 years worshipping Bhavatrini, right? But it's, it's true, any temple, any, any holy place, you go into some, you go, we, we go, we're in India, we go into, we visit sadhus, right? And you see sadhus are just great bhaktas. I remember one time, there, you, there's a photograph, we have it here. You've seen this picture, there's three photographs of Sri Ramakrishna, the front shrine pose. There's one where he's dancing, right, being held, and there's one where he's on a pillar. So that pillar was taken. That picture was taken in Calcutta. I remember in very good memory. Uh, um, uh, he went actually not to take his picture. He went to see how pictures are taken. Educational outing, right? And and it, when he, when when the the photographer was explaining how you put the phosphorus powder on the plate and then that the image that it's exposed to in the light, it catches the image. Sri Ramakrishna thought this is the way meditation works, right? By putting devotion on the mind, the image of God is ca captured, right? And he went into ecstasy, and so he said, "Great, get the camera." You're right, you're right. So the picture was not was an, it was not meant to be a picture, but thank God we have another picture, a third picture of him in ecstasy. But I went I went there many my first 26 years ago, 27 years ago, my first trip to India was Gita. She 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 knew the address. We wanted to go see the camera that took Sri Ramakrishna's picture, right? And so, it's a storefront. Now, I don't know whether it's still, a, I don't remember if it's still a photography studio, but it was, the camera was there in a glass case and we did pronounce. And then the man who, was, who showed us around, he says that, yeah, this has been in our family and this is my grandfather took this picture. Right, so very interesting. Now I don't know. He said, would you like to meet his wife? No, his, um, his, his, his my mother, right? The, not like that. He says, she's very old, but if you want, you can meet her. She says, yes, we meet her, right? So we go in the back room, which is an empty room, completely just a, an empty room. In the back, on the corner, there was a grass mat, a kusha mat, and she was sitting there doing japa, right, on the floor, right? And she talked to us a little bit and says, please excuse me, I'm a little busy, right? And then we went out, oh, we don't want to interrupt you. And then the, 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 the son said, busy means she's doing japa. <laughs> she, has, she has a lot of japa to do still, you know, before she Shivarachi. But I remember, the, of course, Sri Ramakrishna went there. That's an important thing. But... The, her life, this old lady's life, she's sitting in the corner on a grass mat chanting japa. Thinking about it, I still get chills, you know, the atmosphere in that room, right? Wherever his name is spoken, that place is holy. So Sri Ramakrishna said that all holy places become holy because devotees do sadhana there. Kali Mandir is holy because so many people have chanted here. So many people are praying, so much japas, kirtan, bhajan is done here, the puja mantras. So the, the holy name makes a place holy. How much more so the man who speaks his name, right? If a place becomes holy because, when you, because God's name is spoken, how much more the body of a person that speaks his name, right? If I, if I chant here, this place is holy, but all the time chanting here. We've done this demonstration before. We'll do it again. It's very interesting, right? If you put your hand on your chest, everybody can do. Go Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah. You feel the vibration. Your whole body is vibrating. We don't think. We chant God's name, right? The, we, we have faith that the, uh, you can feel your whole body is vibrating the mantra, right? You know, so it's like this is something. Right? Literally, it's physically vibrating, not just 
astrally or spiritually in some subtle way, in an actual way. It's physically vibrating to that mantra. Right? So if a place becomes holy, how much more the body of a person who chants? Right? This is why Sri Ramakrishna said the body of a devotee is special. Right? He uses, Sri Ramakrishna uses the term uh, Bhagavati Tanu. I mean the divine, the, the divine body. Right? That when, when some person does long sadhana carefully, the body becomes changed. The cells become changed, the vibration change, the patterns change. Right? It seems, you know. And you see when you meet great devotees, great saints, they look different. Even though they're the same. Practically they're the same, but they're different. You know, you can see. How much so, whenever his name is spoken, that very place is holy. How much more so is the man who speaks his name? And with what veneration ought we approach that man out of whom comes to us spiritual truth? So not only person who speaks his name, but what to speak of the person who's then revealing his name. The one who's giving us his name, who's given us spiritual teachings. How much, if a place is holy because of mantra, if a person's body is holy because of, of, of holy vibration, what does, how should we speak the person whose whole life is based upon that spiritual practice, is also speaking from whom we get it. So he's establishing, this is a, these are different chapters, but it's actually one talk, right? So he's talking about the guru. Now the next step is, this is part of the veneration of the guru, right? The person who's speaking, who speaks his name. The one who we get is the, the one who reveals the name, right? How much more the man who speaks his name and to with what veneration ought we approach that man out of whom comes to us spiritual truth. Such great teachers of spiritual truth are, in day, are indeed very few in number in this world, but the world is never altogether without them. This is there's a few famous things of, of Samaji's lines I always remember. This is one of them, right? There may be, not be many, right? But the world is never free from them, right? So Samaji says that several places throughout the complete the, the four yogas. He says that, uh, maybe even here, I don't know, remember, I haven't looked at this in a while, but that, um, that uh, 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 we seem to complain, oh, there's no great saints anymore, right? And that's partially, I mean, I was uh, overhearing an interesting discussion with I, my Swami Omananda, my sannyas guru, Guruji, whose today is his sannyas anniversary, so it's uh, Kartik Purna, very auspicious day. And um, uh, Swami Govindananda, Govinda Baba, who's our guru by Govindananda, is, uh, uh, he's been in India, he's from originally from Canada, he's been in India now 50-something years continuously. Right? And so there is, I was not part of the conversation, I was eavesdropping the conversation to senior Swami's talking. Swami Omananda is saying, Govinda Baba, you practically see, you came here 50 years ago, coming to all the melas, and you know you've been moving amongst the Babas and Yogis. You see the different. Is there the same or is it different? Well, no, it's different. He says, "Don't you think that that uh, 50, uh, 50 years ago, it, it was hard to find a bad Baba, right? You find hard to find some some sannyasi, some sadhu in the in the real. I mean, we live in a world of real sadhus. There's all, all kinds of sadhus and publicity sadhus and you know all kinds of. Sadhus. We're talking about the the real sadhu community. This is the community we live in. There, he says that it was rare to see somebody that wasn't a good sadhu." Right and, and and but now, now we go. We're wandering uh, camp after camp looking for a good sadhu. Right. This is, this is what. How much has changed? We see. We practically see it. I mean, we can say, oh, it's Kali Yuga. It's you know whatever Western tradition. Who, who knows what? Right. Too much fame. Too much money. Who knows what it is? Too much ganja. Whatever it is. Right. The, the tradition has changed. Right. But that there is something here is lamenting. Right. That now we don't see. But then he says, but still there's some good sadhus. 
right? It's not the it's not the norm anymore. Before it was, you see the competition who could be the best, who could be the purest. <laughs> now it's who could who could advertise the most and who get make the most money and you know the different type of thing. You know they're competing in a different way. Before they're competing for tapasya, right? Who could have less? Like was I've I've had so many conversations with which. Showing, I remember one time I, someone saw it who asked me my shoes. Where did you get these shoes? I said, oh, I got them in some store in America. How much did they cost? Eight dollars, some cheap pair of flohos. I remember flohos. That was my choice of shoes in high school and the like. Eight dollars. I got these also when I was in America. They cost me four dollars. He was very proud. <laughs> the competition is who had cheaper shoes. <laughs> so that's a, that was a, a different type of competition than we have now, you know. But, uh, but anyway, so, but so, so uh, Guruji was saying that, well, there's still some good sadhus. They may be less, no doubt, right? But they're there. So Swamiji is also saying that, that, that the world is never without them. Another place he says, if they'd be gone, this world would cease. All dharma would cease. This conversation wouldn't happen anymore, right? We don't know the in, incalculable good that the yogis and sadhus and saints are doing uh, behind the scene with their life. Such great teachers of spiritual truth are indeed very few in number in this world, but the world is never altogether without them. They are always the fairest flowers of human life, an ocean of mercy without any motive. Know that the Guru to be me, now he's quoting from uh, the Bhagavatam, know the Guru to be me, says Sri Krishna in the Bhagavatam. In the Bhagavata. The moment the world is absolutely bereft of these, it becomes a hideous hell and hastens to its destruction. And remember just a few weeks ago, uh, one Swami Sarva Priyananda, who was visiting Vedanta Society, who was you, you met, that's a very nice Swami. He, on the boat, we were at the, the Akali immersion in, in Newport Beach, and he, I was sitting with, sitting, standing with him. He was saying, along this point, he was also saying that now there's less yogis, but the real yogis, these are the, they're, they're, um, uh, they're, uh, uh, the. They, so he, quoting so all everything he says is quoting. He has memorized a complete work on Vivekananda. Every sentence comes out of his mouth is Swamiji says, Swamiji in one letter he says, and then one lecture he says. You know that's the way he speaks. Truly a master of these things. He says Swamiji said that uh, uh, the real saints, the great great souls, right? They live, love, and disappear, right? Unknown by the world. They're never leaving their cave. Never leaving their kutir. These are the great, great. They're the ones who are in inimaginable good by their pure, by their pure lives. They live and, and love God and disappear unknown. And then, he, and then, then Swami says, then Swamiji, Swami Vivekananda, then Swamiji said something devastating. Right? That's Swamiji's strong words, right? He says, says the, uh, the, the next layer down, these are the teachers that preach, the great preachers. These are like, and he says, Jesus and Buddhas and Shankaras. Right, these are, these are three big, the great, the big, big names. Says, these are, he says, um, uh, what was the term? Second rate heroes. <laughs> right, and he wasn't insulting them. He was not. He was Swamiji. Was he was he was edgy in his presentation, right? But Jesus, Buddha, and Shankara, these are second rate heroes, right? Because they had to. They they not. They're also maybe sent by maybe divine work, but the the one the great saints we know we don't know about them, right? The ones we know is already a next step down, and then there's a next step down. <laughs> Those we know too much about. <laughs> they have, uh, 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 <coughs> what is it? There's darshan and pradarshan. You know, you know if you know this term. <laughs> uh, in in the Kumbh, when Sadhu told me, Kumbh, it used to be we used to come here to have darshan of the saints, 
right? And now it's product production means publicity, I think, right? Exhibition. <laughs> huh? Exhibition. Exhibition. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so <sighs> higher and nobler than the ordinary teachers. Uh, higher and nobler than all ordinary teachers in this world is another set of teachers, the avatars of Ishwara. So we have we have our teach our gurus, but above the normal gurus is another category. He saw the avatars of Ishwara. Remember, he just talked about gurus in the previous chapter, and before that, he talked about Ishwara. So the bhakti is only for Ishwara. He described we describe what is Ishwara. We describe Ishwara as we we would in Western world call God, the creator, the sustainer, destroyer, revealer, and coverer. Right? That's the five qualities of Ishwara. Samaji goes into that. But now, so now there's also above the guru and below Ishwara, there is the avatars of Ishwara, the new category Samaji is establishing. They can transmit spirituality with a touch, even with a mere wish. At their command, the lowest and most degraded characters become saints in one second. Samaji, in his discipleship lecture, he says, if Jesus were to say, go, when he said, go and sin no more, right, your sins are forgiven, right? He says the person can no longer sin. His words are transformative. We, we, we say nothing happens. Sri Ramakrishna says that's the difference between regular teacher and, and, and divine teachers. Their words have potency, right? Uh, 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 Samaji said that religion can be given like, like a fruit. If I have an apple and I give you an apple, now you have an apple. Tangible spirituality can be, realization can be given by such means, just like that. Not slowly taught and ho hopefully you'd practice something. And, you know, it's like it can be transmitted, right? They can, uh, some of you kind of said, Sri Ramakrishna could mold people's minds like clay in his hand. Or you could give it any twist you wanted. Such, such spiritual power. They can transmit spirituality with a mere touch, even by a mere wish. At their command, the lowest and most degraded characters become saints in one second. They are the teachers of all teachers, the highest manifestations of God through man. We cannot see God except through them. We cannot help worshipping them. And indeed, they are the only ones whom we are bound to worship. We cannot see God except through them. And so we, we can, you can see in, in religions that are a little bit absolutists, right? That same principle, trying to take away the, um, the uh, sectarian, fanatical interpretation. But a similar statement could be said, no one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said, right? We can, that, a lot of people who follow him believe that means, only, means exclusively through him, right? If you take it a little more philosophically, a little more abstractly as a principle, we can see that it's Swamiji saying the same thing. It's only through the avatar that one can see the absolute. Only through the sun, in Christian language, can one see the father. Possibly like this. Swamiji, uh, Sri Ramakrishna gives beautiful uh, example. He, he says that, uh, and he said it many times, and, and, and he used to ask him, what did I say about the avatar? What did I say? And, and we would have to repeat it. It was an important teaching. He tested him on, so we should be tested on it. He said, "You said you said it was like a window, in in a, in a, in a, or a hole in a wall, right? What did I mean by that?" He'd he'd, he'd, he'd investigate. So, so here's an example: like you have an infinite 
expanse outside and you have a small dark room, right? And in that there's a small hole, right? Through that hole, you could see the infinite expanse. You see, that's the that's Ramakrishna's example of the avatar, right? Or, 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 so through the avatar, one knows the infinite, right? But a hole or a window or a door, we can expand it and expand the idea, like it is like like this door here, right? If you didn't know that it was a door, you'd think, oh, that's and you look at this wall, right? That you have a wall. That part of the wall looks like that. This part of the wall looks like this. You can look, it looks like it has has, has um, uh, plants painted on it, not knowing that the the plants on the outside, right? You couldn't tell if you didn't know what you're looking at. You didn't. You couldn't tell that the window is showing something beyond it. You'd think this is the nature of the inside. Of, the inside of this room, the walls painted like trees, not knowing those trees are outside. And then, like this is all clean and clear. And the windows are clean today. What about that window, this door over here where it's open? It looks no different, right? But that one, there's no, not even glass. Not only revealing the outside, it is the outside, right? So in the in-between, the inside of the, ho the house and the outside of the house, right? That's the avatar, right? Because it's, it's, is, is the doorway part of the wall or is it part of the outside space? It's both part of the wall and part of the outside space. We say it's both the infinite and the human. It's both the unmanifest and the manifest. The formless and the form. The formless in form. We sometimes use the, the, the idea of the incarnation or the descent. So it's, it has both, it, it, it seems to partake of both qualities. Right? But actually to say, oh, the door is part of the wall. That's language. It's okay. We can think that way. When seen from the inside, we think that. Right? But it's, it's, there's nothing there. It's only the infinite. These windows are revealing something infinitely outside, but we don't see it, right? So we can think, oh, that's just a human. You know, Krishna is just a human. You know, uh, Ram is just a human. We can see he did all human things. We can interpret everything he did in a human way. Right? And, we, and we missed, we, we're missing what we're seeing. Uh, we cannot see God except through them. We cannot, we cannot help but worshiping them. No man can really see God except through these human manifestations. If we try to see God otherwise, we must make ourselves a hideous creature of him and believe that caricature to, do, that caricature to be as good as the original. When I first read this many, many, many years ago, I was, I've spent most of my life fighting Swami Vivekananda, I have to admit. So this is, we, we, we're presenting it after he's won most of the fights. So that's why I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm not correcting some of Vivekananda. I'm teaching some of Vivekananda, but I spent all the points I'd fight. This is also one of the points I fought. Not that I'm against the avatar. We worship Sri Ramakrishna as an avatar. We worship Krishna as an avatar. But the idea, well, we don't need an avatar. We have Kali. Kali's not an avatar. Why, we, why do we need, uh, why do we need uh, Krishna and uh, an incarnation of Vishnu? Why not worship Vishnu? We don't need an incarnation of Kali. Why not worship Kali? Right? And of course, it's not exactly, he usually, by God here, he means Ishvara, which is an unknown unknowable first cause and, 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 and the cause of everything, the support of everything. It's not a person in, in, in normal sense. How do you know Ishwar? How do you know the Absolute? It's, how do you know Brahman? It's not a noble thing. So, but we also believe that Kali is Brahman. Kali is Ishwara, right? Or Shiva is Ishwara. Or Shiva is, Kali, is Brahman, right? And actually in the next two chapters later, he talks about images and deities. So he's not against this, but... But, uh, 
but still there's something because even even we worship Kali, we can we can meditate on her name, her form, right? Her 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 rupa, her lila, her gunas, her qualities, her dham, right? Uh, right. In a certain sense, she's we're seeing her also as an avatar, right? She's just like the window or the door, right? She's the Brahman in a way we can think about. But it's not a normal way to think about because we're thinking about something that's not that's not possible. Like we see, like Kali has four arms, right? So that's not a thing. There's nobody who has four arms, right? So we're thinking, even though she, we have a form we can think about, we're thinking about something that's not a thing, right? So we don't, in a certain sense, to show we can't get caught in it. She's representing something beyond thought. Right, it's not we're, we're, we have an image in our mind. A yant, actually, these images are also called yantras and the tantras, the murtis of the deities, the Ganesha with his head, of Ganesha with his elephant head, and like that. These are yantras, also just like the geometric design. These are ways of organizing things in the mind to understand something, to think of something, to contemplate something that's beyond beyond our thinking. Right. So, in a certain sense, we're not supposed to get caught on the image, although we're supposed to meditate on the image. But the image, it's like you no know, Kali actually has four arms and her tongue sticking her tongue out. That's okay, but how far can you push that? You know, it's like, you know, we're going to start a campaign that the only true God is sticking out her tongue. And those who don't think that are fools and don't know anything in their dark, deep, deepest ignorance and they're pagans and will never, never reach the lotus feet of the Godhead because they don't know that God has her tongue sticking out. It's, it falls apart if you, if you push these things too far, right? So it is a revelation. It is an, a, a certain type of avatar, but it's, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not within the real realm of thinking, right? These are things that we can't, we can think about them, but they're supernatural images. They're, 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 they're. But the avatar, the human avatar, is a person. Right? So we can, that person we can know. Right? And so even Kali we know through her saints. Right? Even Kali we know through Sri Ramakrishna, for, ex- for example. Right? Krishna, of course. Vishnu, what do we know? We know it through Krishna, through Rama. Even Krishna and Rama have become very abstract. So now we know them through Chaitanya. Right, you, know, you can see even there, there is, it continues to be revealed in the way that we can relate to it. Right? Because I, like I read in the Shrimad Bhagavatam, Krishna had 16,000 wives and he kept in 16,000 palaces. Right? It's like, so even that, okay, that's the avatar, I can understand. But even that's a not understandable avatar. <laughs> it's beyond human conception. Right? Right? I, I one time read that verse to somebody thinking they'd give some sarcastic response. Like, oh, just see how powerful, and he walked away. This shows you how powerful Krishna is. He had full faith in Krishna. Very opulent, he said. <laughs> right. Right. But, so, so, but, but, but the, 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 when we see a perfect human or a beyond perfect human being, right, uh, the avatar, that we can think about. It's within the realm of our contemplation. It's the greatest thing we can think about. Beyond that, we can't, it becomes an imagination. Right. It's God known. Right. It's the unknowable God known. The unthinkable one thought, you know, revealed in, in our, in, within our experience. No man can really see God except through these human manifestations. If we try to see God otherwise, we make for ourselves a hideous caricature of him and believe the caricature to be as good as the original. See, we make an image that some people think that's the real idol, I, not adultery, idolatry. I say it right? I always get it wrong. <laughs> They're slightly different. Be <laughs> careful. Idolatry, right? We make we make what is it? We make an image of some. We make a not even image. Right? We believe you can make an image of the divine as long as you understand what it is, right? But you make a caricature, right? I mean something. It's like it's not. It's not. It's nowhere close. It's a bad copy, like a caricature. Like somebody does a caricature drawing of you. You know, you paid you paid eight dollars on on the boardwalk and they draw. 
it kind of looks like you, but it's it's cartoony. It's not doesn't really look like you. It's not a you know. And you say, oh, that's see, this is. I mean, I've had a caricature of myself drawn, and uh, during high school, me floating, <laughs> right, uh, floating. Uh, I'm supposed to be a meditating yogi like that. I can say, see, wow, Swami Bhajananda can levitate. Look, proof. There's a picture of him levitating. Right? You couldn't take that serious. If you did take that serious, you'd be foolish. Right, that's a problem. Once you can make a caricature of something beyond our understanding and think, oh, this is the real thing. God definitely has your tongue sticking out. If you don't think so, you're a fool. It becomes ridiculable. Right? There is a story of an ignorant man who was asked to make an image of the god Shiva and who, after days of hard struggle, manufactured only the image of a monkey. So this is Swami. Somebody asked Swami Vivekananda, Please write the life of Sri Ramakrishna. And he quoted, this is actually, I think it's a verse. He's quoting a known, here he's just, yes, if I, if I start to make an image of Shiva, I shall make an image of a monkey. That's a danger. Because what do I know of Shiva? Right, you know, so, so that's the thing. You make something and he's, oh no. But the danger is then, oh, Shiva's monkey, Shiva's a monkey. Of course he is a monkey, Jai Hanuman, but that's a different thing. We won't stretch it. So whenever we try to think of God, as he is, in his absolute perfection, we inevitably meet with the most miserable failure, because as long as we are men, we cannot conceive of him as being anything higher than a man. The time will come when, he shall trans- when we shall transcend our human nature and know him as he is. But as long as we are men, here means human, it's an old uh, antiquated language, we must worship him as man, him in man and as a man. I want to give an example, but I'll make sure it's not fun. I won't give the example because these examples are given two paragraphs later. Talk as you may, try as you may, you cannot think of God except as a man. You may deliver great intellectual discourses on God and all the things under the sun, become a great rationalist, and prove to your satisfaction that all these accounts of the avatars of God as man are mere nonsense. But let us come for a moment to practical common sense. What is there behind this kind of remarkable intellect? Zero. Nothing. Simply so much froth. When you hear a man delivering a great intellectual lecture against the worship of the avatar of God, get hold of him and ask him what is his idea of God. What his idea of God is. What he understands by omnipotence, omnipresence in all such terms beyond the spelling of the words. Could we say, oh no, we can't worship, God's not a man, he's, he's, he's omnipresent, and omniscient, and omnipotent, right, the, the, like, so what did you mean by this, beyond, like I said, beyond the mirror, like, what, you know, so what is omnipresent, really powerful, what does that mean, all powerful, what does that mean, it's like, you have, you come up with some, some human idea of a really powerful thing, and by abstraction think more powerful than that. Beyond that, we can't think of anything. We don't know what all-powerful is. It's just an idea. It's a word. right? It's a human uh, um, uh, thought. right? It's, it's already a blasphemy. right? It's a, you're not actually saying anything. right? Uh, infinite. As we think of infinite, Samaji says that you think of infinite, you think of like the sky. The sky is not infinite. right? We know that. right? It's just a big thing we can think about. A little because it's a little, it goes beyond our immediate perception, so we think that's infinite, right? Really big is not infinite, right? So then we well, we take real big and oh, it's much bigger than that, right? And the the bhakti yoga starts 
No, no. The the talks at the Parliament start was that. Remember, we read that story of the frog in the well, right? When a frog had lived in the well his whole life, another frog from the ocean came and fell in that well, and the first frog said, "Where are you from? I'm from the ocean. How big is the ocean? Is it as big as my well?" Right? He goes, "Big as your well? Don't be silly to say such a thing. It's much bigger than your well. Bigger than my well? You know? How is it? You know? Uh, is it twice as big as my well?" <laughs> Right? No, no. It's, 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 it, you can't conceive it. Oh, I don't believe you. Nothing's big in my world. Get out of here. You're a liar. Get out of here. I don't believe you. Right? That's the same idea. We, we, even our ideas of omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, all these omni big words, omni, 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 you know, the bigger, the infinitely infinite, these are just words. Be honest about the words. He really means nothing by them. He cannot formulate at their meaning any idea unaffected by his own human nature. He is no better off in this matter than a man in the street who has not read a single book. That man in the street, however, is is quiet and does not disturb the peace of the world. While the big talker creates disturbance and misery among mankind. Religion is, after all, realization. And we must make the sharpest distinction between talk and intuitive experience. So Swamiji has many new definitions for the modern age, one of which is religion means realization. We usually think religion means it's a set of doctrines, right? a set of teachings, a set of beliefs. Right? That's usually what we mean by religion. I mean, when I study, I study religion in school, you study religion in school, that's basically what do you study. Comparative religion is comparing the doctrines and the practices of different uh, uh, religious groups right? and their development through history. <laughs> And their influences on politics, and you know whatever the subtopic that you're studying in school, right? But it's never, it's not his Swamiji's definition. Realization means religion means realization, right? And we must make a sharp distinction between talk and intuitive experience. It's a great line, right? Like what we what we think, what we can speak, and what we actually know is always something different, right? In the Jnana Yoga. No, in Raja Yoga, Swamiji says uh, uh, that there's huge arguments for people who have not realized, do not have direct intuitive experience of God, making arguments for and against the existence of God, right? And we've we've studied in school, we've I've taken whole courses on this on, on arguments for the existence of God or against the existence of God, right? And but none of but the people that we actually believe we have some faith in the people who've actually had direct experience of this those who have claimed to have direct experience they never make such arguments when they're like if you're trying to how do you know God exists well I know God exists because there's a cause you can't there's an effect you can't have an effect without a cause and you haven't you know or uh, there's what there's a design and you can't have a design without a designer or you know, I can give all the all the all the normal arguments for existence that's how I, I know God exists right but if you ask a, a saint how do you know God exists they usually a smile, right? He says, "I know, and you'll also, you can also know, right?" It's also, it's not, it, not only I know, you can also know, right? When Swami Vivekananda first came to Sri Ramakrishna, his, his first question: "Have you seen God?" Right? It's a very big question, right? Not, "Do you believe in God?" And what are the arguments for his existence, right? And in, 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 by the challenge of the modern, the modern, what's your response to the modern challenge to religion? That's how I would do it. I've I've asked that question to to people. It it makes for a very fascinating discussion. I love that stuff. We call it time pass. This is a hobby. (laughs) This type of discussion is a nice hobby for those who have some some interest in it. But he didn't ask that. He asked, have you seen God? 
And so I'm and Takura said, yes. Right, that's a very a huge think about it, it's a huge statement. Right? Right. And then he said, not only that, you can see him. Right? That's, an, that's an even bigger statement. So it's not because you think of not only religion is realization, but whose realization? Not Sri Ramakrishna's realization. Right? This is a problem we this has been our discussion in our morning coffee time here, right? Um, the last few days. That uh, that a lot of people, m- most religions start with somebody saying, "I've seen God," right? Oh, I've realized the truth. I, the, the prophecy has been given, right? And uh, the revelation has been revealed, has been given to me. An angel spoke to me, or something. Some you know fit in all these different things, right? And now religion is people's response to that person's claim, right? Right? Do you believe me or not? Believe me and follow follow me or follow or, or, or accept the revelation, the new truth, right? But that's not what Sri Ramakrishna said, right? He says that if God exists and can be seen, you can see him, right? Religion is your realization, not the prophet's realization, right? So it's a different, it's a very different thing. I, I, so I, I've been meditating on this one little scene, obviously very important. It's a changed history, perhaps. This discussion, but it's 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 um uh, I think it's very significant that Swami Vivekananda's question and Sri Ramakrishna's answer is very very powerful. It's a new definition of religion, but it's in the intellectual world. Swami Vivekananda gave this new definition for the religion mean realization, right? But it's not the new definition. This is the ancient definition of religion, right? This is the Vedic rev- definition of religion. This is the definition given the Upanishads. This is the definition given in the Yoga Sutra. This is the definition given in the Bhagavad. Right? Person, your personal realization. We may believe in somebody else's realization, and that might give us faith to follow their technique or their teachings or advice. Right? But if we don't experience it, what's the value? Somebody else, God spoke to somebody else a long time ago. That's good, maybe. Right? It's probably also not true. If somebody claims, oh, so I, God spoke to me. He said, where is he? Where is he? Can I see? No, 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 no. He, he said he's not speaking. He, he's finished. He won't speak to anybody. Not, not, not you. you have to trust me. Hmm. <laughs> that makes me very weary. <laughs> that, that, the setup is wrong. It's a weird setup. You know? <laughs> right? But somebody said, oh, God spoke to me. Really? What do you say? What? That, that, that's very interesting. So, so I'm going to give an example of somebody. There's a, a wall. And somebody sees, hears some music, some partying, some joy sounding on the other side of that wall. And so somebody climbs up. And he sees, ah, and he jumps in. Right? So that's most mystics. They have direct realization. But they fall, they're on the other side of the wall. Right? And we say, where do they go? Right? And maybe we're like, but once in a while there's somebody who, who's in the fin and goes, ah, wonderful, wonderful. And then out of mercy, he turns around and says, hey, it's over here. Not like I've seen it, therefore I do what I say. Right? Or believe that, or believe that, or sit there and worship that wall forever. No, no, you can also, look, 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 come, 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 come. It's so wonderful. So they have the experience and they're encouraging you and we have faith in them and their experience, right? But that faith only works because they're saying it's still there to be experienced, right? So somebody, I experienced something a long time ago and nobody else will ever experience it. I don't think that faith is very useful, right? If realization means, if religion means realization. But I've had the experience, you can also have the experience. That's, that's a new it's the ancient, the ancient definition and the new definition of religion. Religion means realization. We must make the sharpest distinction between talk and intuitive experience. Anubhava is a word for this intuitive experience. 
What we experience in the depths of our souls is realization. Nothing indeed is so uncommon as common sense in regard to this matter. You see, I mean, it wasn't my little discussion in the last five minutes. It's not that hard, right? We never think about this. Oh my God, somebody, there's a new, there's, have, you, have, you heard, have you heard the good news? You know, whatever the, fill in whatever the good news is, right? Can we experience it? You tell me. Question. Tell me. So when they reference God, do they mean Brahman? And when they say realize, you will realize that you will also realize. Well, the thing, well, people mean different. People mean different things, right? Somebody starts by describing what's meant by God, as by describing Ishvara in the in the context of Bhakti. But people saying whatever there's whatever, if whatever God, Brahman, self, Krishna, Avatar, whatever whatever the the goal is, whatever the claim is. Is it something somebody else realizes, or is, or is it something you can realize? That's ultimately the point, right? Right? Because also, I mean, it is, just because somebody says I've realized, and you can also realize that could they could also be manipulating you. That's also true, right? That's not a proof of anything, right? But somebody says I've realized it, and you can't, right? Or won't, right? Or maybe you will after you die. That's that's definitely not satisfying. We shouldn't put our guard down just because somebody says I've realized it. If you follow me, you can too. That's also p- potential for. Misuse, obviously, right? <laughs> That's on you. But still, but we have to. It's still, still the. Uh, okay, at the point. By our present, con- by our present constitution, we are limited and bound to see God as man. Why? Because we're humans. We can only understand the highest extent of human of a human. If, for instance, this is the one I remember. The buffalo wants to worship God. They will, in keeping with their own nature, see him as a huge buffalo. Right. Somebody says, what is God like when a buffalo, Samaji says, what, what is God like when buffalo asks his friend? Goes to his teacher, guru, oh yes, yes, very big buffalo, with very big horns, this big. <laughs> right? we, we, the, the thing we know at the highest extent, that's all we can think. They will have no, oh, sorry, they will, keeping with their own nature, they will see him as a huge buffalo. If they wish, if a fish wants to worship God, they will have to form the idea of him as a big fish, and men have to think of him as a man. And these various conceptions are not due to a morbidity, a morbidly, morbidly active imagination. Sorry, my tongue got stuck. Man, buffalo, and fish are all to be supposed may all be supposed to represent so many different vessels, so to say. All these vessels go to the sea of God and get filled with water, each according to own shape and capacity. And man, in a, the man, the water takes the shape of a man, in a buffalo, the shape of a buffalo, and in a fish, the shape of a fish. In each of these vessels, there is the same water of the sea of God. When men see him, they see him as man and the animals. And if they have any conception of God at all, must see him as the animal, each according to his own ideal. So we cannot help seeing God as a man, and therefore we are bound to worship him as a man. There is no other way. The idea of the, of the, of the vessel is very important. Right? Uh, uh, a glass of water is water. Right? Right? Although it's also a glass, Right, but it's water. When you say a gla- an empty glass is not is barely a glass, right? So we've used this. We've told this example many times, uh, uh, seen in the life of Neem Kroli Baba, right? And somebody was saying, but you know, because you just say Neem Kroli, say Ram Ram, you say Ram 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 Ram. That was vision. 
But Ram, 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 isn't that limiting God to say God is Ram? Why isn't God Krishna? What about Shiva? What about Jesus? What about the absolute Brahman? Why give it a name? Why give it a form? Don't these things limit? Why think of him as the name Ram or the person Ram that lived thousands of years ago in Ayodhya and his wife got kidnapped and cried when his wife got, you know, it's like it's the human story, the human uh, uh, mythological, seeming mythological story. How is that? Doesn't that limit God? Right? And so as Nikrali Baba's habit, he didn't usually just, he wasn't a philosopher, he was a mystic, and he created a scene to teach something by an example. Right. So anyways, he he's probably talked to somebody else, somebody else told the story of my, my kid needs to go to school, not doing well in class, you know, it changed the topic. In the meanwhile, he asked the first person, go get me a glass of water. And the guy goes up and goes and gets him a glass of water, and he brings back Nikrali Baba, he says, what is this? I wanted water. And not looking, I brought you water. He says, no, you brought me a glass. I don't want a glass. I want water. Give me what I want. Right? What do you do? If I ask for a glass of water, you bring me, and I didn't want a glass, I want water. So obviously you can't bring water without a glass in this common, set, common sense setting, right? That was the point that the, 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 the vessel does not limit God. It reveals God. Right, the name of God or the form of God or the avatar of God does not limit the absolute. It, it, it's filled with the absolute only. It's bringing the absolute to us. Right, so it's not a limitation. It's a revelation. Right, if you see it as such, you know. It's a very big idea, I think. Two kinds of men do not worship God as man. The human brute who has no religion. Right, the, the the brute with no religion doesn't worship God as man, and the Paramahansa who has risen beyond all the weaknesses of humanity, and has transcended the limits of his own human nature. The Paramahansa, the Parivrajika Paramahansa, the highest realized being, right, who's beyond his own human limitations. Right, but what happens instead? We have religious preachers saying, "Don't worship God as man." It's a limitation. Right, you know, but they're, they have, they don't have, they don't, the brute doesn't know better, and the Paramahansa has transcended it. Anybody in between is speaking nonsense. That's Swamiji's point. To him, all nature has become his own self. This is talking to Paramahansa. He alone can worship God as he is. Here too, as in the other cases, the two extremes meet: the extreme of ignorance and the other extreme of knowledge. Neither of these goes through acts of worship. The human brute does not worship because of his ignorance. And the jiva muktas, the free souls, do not worship because he has realized God in themselves. If anyone becomes, if anyone between these two poles of existence tells you that he is not going to worship God as man, kindly beware of such a person. He is, not to use a harsher terms, an, ir- an irresponsible talker. His religion is for unsound and empty brains. God understands human feelings and becomes man to do good to humanity. This is a beautiful... He's, first he's talking pretty kind of edgy philosophy. Philosophy was his, the Swamiji style, right? But here immediately it switches. He, not only we can only worship God with man, we can't think of anything beyond the human nature, but here it's the real idea of the avatar, right? God, out of love, becomes man. Right, this one he only gives it like one or two sentences, but it's the secret of the whole thing. God understands humans' nature, our, our limited nature, and becomes man to do good to humanity. 
And he quotes from the Gita. Wherever, whenever virtue subsides and wickedness prevails, I manifest myself. To establish virtue, to destroy evil, and to save the good, I embody myself in every yuga. Yuge, yuge. And another verse. Fools deride, fools deride me who have assumed the human form without knowing my real nature as the Lord of the universe. Such is Sri Krishna's declarations in the Gita on the Incarnation. When a huge tidal wave comes, says Bhagavan Sri Ramakrishna, all the little brooks and ditches become full to the brim without any effort or consciousness on their own part. So when the Incarnation comes, the tidal wave of spirituality breaks upon the world and people feel spirituality in the very air. This is a famous uh, saying of Sri Ramakrishna. When a tidal wave comes, there's water everywhere. Right now, we're, we're, we're looking at it. It didn't rain. We were hoping it was... whole week, we're thinking it was going to rain today. After the fires, there was so much heat. We're very... We're in, still in, it's not hot. We're still in danger. We're looking at the sky, hoping for rain. And today, no clouds. The rain went away. Where to go, right? We look at the river. It's empty. Right? There's no crawdads. There's no tadpoles. They probably have all died. Right? In the last week or so. Right? You know, it's like... And maybe a little rain comes, we get a little bit of water here, a little bit of water here, like that. But if a huge flood comes, we've had that experience too, also dangerous, right? But then there's water everywhere. And you find in this river, you'll find fish, big fish you'll find in the gutter, right? After a big flood or a tidal wave, right? So it says an avatar comes, the whole area is inundated with fresh spirituality, right? It's different. Uh, spiritual ideas, spiritual people, the saints, you, you see, uh, everything is. Overwhelmed. People feel spirituality in the air. So that's that very small chapter on Avatar. Uh, but I love that. This is that uh, God understands human failings and becomes a man to do good to humanity. But then he quotes the Gita. When that's the classic definition or the reason given by Krishna, at least, whenever Dharma. Uh, adharma rises and dharma uh, subsides. Irreligion, you could say, or righteousness goes down, unrighteousness rises. Religion declines and irreligion uh, uh, r- r- rises. Then when, when that happens, in order to, he gives different reasons, to protect the good, right, and to destroy the wicked, or wickedness, we would probably use in the modern sense, right, uh, uh, and, uh, and to reestablish dharma. I'm in every yuge, yuge, in every age I'm born. This is the thing, he's not just one time. Whenever, because this happens again and again, right? Sometimes it happens, I mean, it happens, in our, it happens throughout the day. <laughs> Sometimes religion rises, and here religion, <laughs> we can see continuously where we have this experience, right? But uh, uh, in every age, in, in, the, in the Bhagavatam, in the first section of the Bhagavatam, it lists maybe 34 avatars. Right. We usually think of the ten classic, but that's a um, medieval list of the Dash avatar. But so many avatars are given. And then it says, but actually I'm given a very uh, partial list. Actually there are as many avatars in the world, not just on this so cosmic view of the thing, in cosmic time and cosmic space, as there are drops of water, uh, an eternal waterfall. Right. So we don't, what, how God is manifesting, we don't, it's infinite amount, right? Uh-uh. But the reason is so, and so in the Bhagavatam also three types of avatars are given. One is called Guna avatar. This is Brahman or Ishvara becomes Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva according to the Gunas in order to create, sustain, and and destroy. 
there's uh, Leela avatars. These are like Krishna and Ram, like that they're born to um, for, to like to kill Ravana. Rama is born to like that, or these type of things. Uh, Korma to save the earth. Uh, Korma, uh, Matsya to save the Vedas. These these stories are there, and then there's uh, uh, um, uh, Yuga avatars. These are born to give a particular teaching of the age, a new revelation for a particular period of time. Right. Uh, so the different types of avatars are given. Well, it's a small section, but I think very powerful. Any questions or comments on this before we move to the next section? Come on. What would be examples of yoga adoption? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you said he came to give the yoga dharma, the religion of the Kali Yuga, of the chanting of the holy name. Bhakti and the chant in Nam Sankirtan. Sri Ramakrishna also said he's, you have to, you know, some people hold that Sri Ramakrishna is in that category. The, a, new, a new revelation. It's the old revelation, but a new emphasis. And part of which is universality of religion, right? The truth of all religions, and this, they're part of, part, part of it, and tradition of longing, right? Uh, you would say, like, what we consider in the prophetic tradition, a prophet comes with a, with a message to mankind for that period. That could be something like that. Uh, and so sometimes within that, the Yuga avatar, sometimes it's, it's believed that God himself or God itself manifests, right? Like a like that. Or sometimes there's some there's a different type of avatar called um, Shakti Avesh avatar. Shakti Avesh avatar means uh, um, uh, closed in Shakti. It means empowered. Right? Somebody that comes with a message of God. Not God, but somebody like a, like we would say like Shankaracharya. Shankaracharya would be like that. Right? He's a, uh, he comes with a message for, uh, uh, or, um, you know, like a prophet or something like that. I mean, something, a messenger of God, you could sometimes say, right? That's a different category. But uh, uh, Yuga Avatar is, and so Yuga Dharma means a per- something for a, a period, a time, a Yuga, right? So it's not good, it's not universal, it's, it's universal, but it's not, it's, it's, speci- it's specialty for this time. And so Sri Ramakrishna said in Kali Yuga especially, right, Bhakti, Naradiya Bhakti is the path, right? Bhakti devotion as taught by Narada, right? Which means chanting. Actually, this is what this uh, Bhakti Yoga section is talking about Naradiya Bhakti. So I'm just intellectually describing Naradiya Bhakti, the path of this age. Lost my place. Incarnations. What time is it? Oh. We'll do the, the next is a small section, and then we'll, we'll end because we'll have RT in a few minutes. Go 10, 15 minutes. But are we now considering? But we are now considering not these Mahapurushas, the great incarnation but only the Siddha Gurus, the teachers who have attained the goal. That's a different thing. So we have the avatars. Now, okay, we, let's, we've talked about them a little, little bit. We've talked about the Guru, but let's talk about below the avatar, before, below Ishvara, below the avatar, and before, below regular, there's Siddha Guru. Siddha means one who has attained, right? So it means the realized teacher, the realized saint who acts as a teacher, 
right? The Siddha Guru. Those who have attained the goal, they, as a rule, have to convey the gems of spiritual wisdom to the disciple by means of mantras, or words to be meditated upon. What are these mantras? That's the next topic, right? So the the the. the there are some who are lucky to be literally in the presence of the avatar, disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, example, right? An unusual batch, right? You know, because I can tell you, practically speaking. People I consider and I've seen great saints, realize people of great realization and great authenticity. And they have their group of disciples. If one or two disciples are good, that's a very big thing. Right? Actually, a, a guru needs one good disciple to keep a lineage alive. Right? right? Uh, and practically speaking, usually, because people who are attracted to, it's a mixed, it's a mixed group that's attracted to <laughs> gurus. Right? Uh, 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 so you get, you know, there's all types not all of the same but you see it's very interesting in the light, in, if you look at Sri Ramakrishna's disciples um, they're extraordinary each one is extraordinary right? you won't see each one of them could be a world teacher on their own right? so it's, it's unique so the, disciples of the, the disciples or companions we would also, also say of the avatar are unique but what about the rest right uh, the regular guru, can't say regular guru, the siddha guru, the perfected guru, the guru who have attainment, who attain knowledge or to real, some realization, sufficient to pass that have the power to pass it on. They do so, you, not just through a glance, through, you know, their flooding the world with their spiritual current, like Sri Ramakrishna or something like that, uh, but by uh, initiation. That means by giving mantra, a word like that. So what are these mantras? Now the next topic. So usually the, the, the siddhanta, Siddhanta, the teachings of, the, of, of a tradition, are passed. Because I can explain to you that the tattva, the teachings, that's also Siddhanta. But real, the real Siddhanta is not just a teaching. It's, remember, it's not just intellectual knowledge. It's, it's intuitive realization. Right? And intuitive realization requires uh, meditation. Right? And so uh, the power of the tradition, the power of the realization of the guru is passed on through the mantra. Um, so that's what he's talking about. So then Swamiji gets a little bit tantric with the vibrational theory. He says, so he starts, let's talk about, not just particular mantra, let's talk about sound, cosmic, divine sound itself. The whole of this universe has, according to Indian philosophy, both name and form as its conditions to manifestation. Name and form in Sanskrit are what? Nama and Rupa. Nama Rupa, right? So, the universe is Nama Rupa, it seems, right? Behind the universe, what is there? Well, of course, we're using words that are beyond our understanding, but scriptures tell us beyond everything is Satchitananda Brahman, right? If you give it qualities, you can give it that. These are All these words also are beyond, like infinite, like beyond our ideas, but we can give it like that. But everything we see, the manifest world is only Nama Rupa, name and form. It's very hard. Of course, we have an emotional mind, we can feel, but even that also, given enough time, it takes. It'll take the shape of a thought, of a thought, even our feelings, right? But our thoughts are almost only in name and form. Very hard to have an, a non-specific uh, thought. Right? We think in names and forms, right? So by by, by somebody saying that we can't think of God beyond the human form, because we're but we can't think of God to get a little more subtle. We can't think of God beyond. We can't think beyond name and form. Not to think of God. We can't think of anything beyond name and form because we think in name and form, right? The universe we see is made out of our thoughts expanded through our experiences of name and form. Whatever we see, we, if there's something beyond name and form, 
we see it as name and form. That's the thing, <laughs> right? Maybe there's only name and form, and therefore we're seeing properly, which I doubt, right? There's good evidence that's not true. But whatever we see, we see it as name and form. We can't think of it otherwise, right? So how to think of something, okay, think of God beyond name and form. It's, we, that's not a thing to do. We can't think beyond name and form until you stop thought. That's a different thing, right? Yoga Sutta dimension. If you go beyond thought, you go beyond, that's a different, but to think of anything requires name and form, right? So our, my Guruji used to say, his, his guru, uh, Yogi Raj Baba, when he went to me, he says, what was, give me the highest teaching. Think nothing. That was the instruction. So that's, turns out not easy. Right? <laughs> but if you want to know which is beyond name and form, don't think, because you think in name and form. Stop the mind, right? But that's not easy. So our Guruji told, told, he says, there's two ways, think nothing, but that is difficult. <laughs> Even Krishna says when Arjuna asks the same question, the unmanifest is hard to think of. Right? He says, or think one thing. Right? He says, that, that's the next step down. Right? But not just think anything. You have to think, if you're going to think one thing, it's going to have a name and form. But think that name and form, which is divine, which means that which is beyond name and form. Right? The name and form which leads beyond itself. Right? This is an interesting thing. There's a, a very, uh, uh, to use Samaji, a devastating mantra. <laughs> I like that term. Like a devastating idea. In the Veda, it says, uh, Aveda Veda Bhava. Right? It's an Upanishadic mantra. Right? The Vedas become not Vedas. Right? So, what religion tells you, this scripture, you'll have to reject the scripture. When you realize the scripture, you'll go beyond the scripture. Right? The religion will say, this religion, you, when you, to really know this religion, you'll have to, get, you have to go beyond. This religion become non-religion. Right? It's, an, it's an escape button. Right? It's very interesting that there, very few people will tell you, if you practice this religion, you'll eventually give it up. Right? That's nobody, nobody will, I can't say nobody, but very few people will tell you that. That's not usually the religious preaching. Right? Vedo Avedo Bhava. It's a beautiful mantra. I think it's very uh, tremendous idea that, that the Vedas, when you go deep in realization, the Vedas become non-Veda, or mantra becomes not mantra, or rupa becomes not rupa. Right? You'll go beyond the idea of God to find God. Right? That's the idea. Go beyond. Anyway, you know, <laughs> you can't even talk about the idea of going beyond ideas without using the word idea. We can't think without well name rupa. Right? So you think. So you said think nothing or think one thing. But what is that one thing? That one thing shouldn't be anything. Of course, you can think anything. There's, you know, the Bhairava Tantra describes you. Anything can be object of meditation. Through the process of meditation, one can go beyond thought, like that. But it's helpful if the object of meditation is connected in a very direct way to that which is beyond the infinite. Or what did you wrote in, in, or you quoted the image. What's the best image of the ocean? A wave is a great image of, an, of the ocean, Right? Because a wave is itself the ocean, right? You know, and you can mean the wave, but when you say wave, you really mean ocean. It's your exp little experiential part of the ocean is the wave, right? So it's a perfect, the best symbol of the ocean is a wave, right? So Guruji said that, the, that you have to think of God in seed form, the form of the thought that, that has the full thing, that, that means that which is beyond itself, right? Yeah. Go back to that. The whole of this universe has, according to philosophy, both name and form, and its conditions of manifestation. In the human microcosm, there is, sorry, in the human microcosm, there cannot be a single wave in the mind stuff, 
which is not conditioned by name and form. In the chitta, every movement of the chitta is name and form. That we have to remember. If it be true that the nature is built throughout on the same plan, means this is the idea that the microcosm and the microcosm are built upon the same plan. Probably you've heard that's a basic principle of Tantra. Also the hermetic mystery, as below, so above, or as above, so below, something like that. There's some statement like that. I mean, if it's true that our very thoughts in the chitta cannot, any vibration of the chitta has name and form as its basis. That's true, extended out from the from the very, the, the, the beginningest vibration in the in the consciousness to the most external manifestation, right? From, from the microcosm to the microcosm. This kind of conditioning by name and form must also be the plan of the building of the whole, a whole of the cosmos. As one lump of clay being known, this is a verse in the Upanishad, all things of clay are known, end quote. So the knowledge of the microcosm must lead to the knowledge of the macrocosm. If you, if you know your own consciousness the way you think, you'll know the manifestation itself. Now the form of the outer crust and the name of the the name or the ideas is the inner essence or the kernel. This body is the form, and the mind or antakarana, antakarana, is the name. The sound symbols are universally associated with the names and all beings having the power of speech. In the individual man, the thought waves rising in the limited limited mahat known as the chitta or the mind stuff, must manifest themselves first as words words, and then as a more concrete form. This gets very chitta and mahat and this is using the language of Samkhya. But the, the, uh, that the, uh, the, outer, the outer crust of the, the body and the external world and the antakarana, the inner being, which means antakarana is mind, manas, buddhi, hamkara, mind, intellect, and ego. But... Um, um, uh, um, it's the the it, from the inner the in the inner uh, being the, the inner vibration expands and manifests as the external simplified overly simplified but that's how we'll do it external form more concrete forms it gets a little bit uh, universal here in the universe Brahma Hiranyagarbha or the cosmic Mahat first manifested himself as name and then as form that is to say as this universe. All this expressed, sensible universe is the form, and behind it stands the eternal and expressible spota, the manifesta- the manifester as logos of, or word. This eternal spota, the essential, the eternal material of all ideas and names, is the power through which the Lord creates the universe. Nay, the Lord first became, becomes conditioned as a spota, and then evolves himself as yet more concrete, sensible universe. This spota has one word as its only possible symbol. And we'll go into that, what that symbol is. So this is a, a dense idea. It's used the spota or spanda. Uses, uh, in, we have the same idea in Tantra and, and, and in, linguist, and in uh, uh, Sanskrit grammar and linguistics, Sanskrit linguistics. Right, um, spota is, is that, uh, um, let me find here. Brahman becomes spota, the manifester, the manifester, the eternal spota, the essential, the eternal. So, what is that in in the um, Gospel of John? How does it start? In the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, 
right? And the word, the word, right, when it says in the beginning was the word in Greek, logos, right? So this is a very special uh, thing. And that this line, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word, and the word was God, right? There's identical uh, sentences in the Upanishads. I didn't think ahead of time I would have looked them up because it's very interesting. There's comparable people that this is like idea by, not word by words, different languages, but idea by idea, sentence structure, identical, right? This is, this is a, a, whether it's taken from the Upanishads or to, to cultures and to realize the exact same truth. In the beginning, there was the word, the logos, or the sp uh, spanda or spata, right? Uh, uh, and the word was with God, and was God. So, Brahm, so Brahman, the Supreme Brahman, Brahman becomes, the, becomes a vibration, becomes a word to manifest. Now in Tantra we have this idea that within the infinite field of the infinite being, the infinite uh, field of awareness, right, unmoving, unchanging, there seems to be, right, for all intended purposes, some little thump, some little drop, some vibration, right, we call that spanda, some Vibration, some drop, some thump. I don't know how to how to describe it, right? It's like I can see it. <laughs> I can imagine it in a glass of water, right? There, that from that vibration, what happens? Starts vibrating out, right? So that's interesting. So as soon as you have a vibration, what happens? It manifests, right? Yeah, that's the thing. It, it doesn't stop. It manifests. And as it manifests, if you ever drop the pebble into a drop into a pond of water, right? You can see it. You see you you see it dripping. Then what happens? The, 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 um, the waves are not equal. Nature vibration is always going to be a little bit off, right? And they'll, st they'll start separating different distances. And they start interacting with each other. And pretty soon you have waves that will create new waves that go the other direction. And new waves go, and then they'll hit the edge and come back. And pretty soon you end up with a, a, a fully agitated lake or, 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 or top, right? That's how one sound becomes the manifested world. Right, in Tantra it describes it, right? There's a uh, um, Nagasbata, this is an ancient, ancient uh, uh, grammarian. Sputati prakashate artosma iti spotaha. Sputati prakashate artosma iti sparashaha. That from this is defining logos or spanda or, or like or this word. That from which meaning bursts or shines forth is spata, is spanda, or spota. That which meaning shines forth, right? So in a word we see, you know, you say a word, you say any word, right? even the word word, right? Right. The sound from, even within the sound, there's a meaning behind the sound, right? That takes the shape of the sound and, and keeps expanding, right? There's some, the, the, the sound of the sound, the word, the meaning of the word, the word and its meaning are so identical, you can't separate them, right? That's the spanda or the spota, from which the very meaning comes, right? Another definition, spuyate vijate varneriti spotaha, that which is manifested by the, that which is manifested by the phonemes, by the sounds. The sound of the word manifests something, right? The meaning that bursts forth or the, or the, or the, or the thing that's manifest from the very sounds itself. So if you say the word cow, you get the cow in your head, right? But of course, because we know, we learn that the word cow means cow, or it's an attributed sound, right? But think of a cow without 
the name cow. Whatever you think, you think of a cow, some name, whatever your name for cow comes, right? If you know the name, it's like, and the name is the name and, and, and the meaning and the shape is so identical. You, it's, you can't say you can't be separated because if you go deep, deep meditation, you, and there's, you, can, you can't pull these things apart, right? But it's not safe. <laughs> <laughs> you lose your mind if you try, because you you lose your bearings in the world. But but um, uh, uh, they're they're so close. Even even the word cow is so close, right? But what about the word God, right? Because cow, you can I can think you, the word God, but but God is just an idea. So the word God is identical with the idea, but it's not a defined idea, right? But there are sounds that are that are more true than ideas, because our our idea of God will change. We say the word God now. I I say the, I said the word God when I was ten years old. My mommy taught me the word and what it meant, right? And now I have a very different idea. When I say God, I mean all kinds of stuff, right? And hopefully, in a hundred in hundred years, <laughs> in a few years, hopefully soon tomorrow morning during meditation, when I say God, I'll really know. I have a very mature idea of God, right? Right. But it, my idea of God is maturing, because. He, but imagine if the, if the word God was God, right? From that thing, the, the the idea of God is not contained in the word. The word is it. That that the very vibration is the thing, right? A beautiful example that we were discussing recently. From I think I mentioned it some some weeks ago, months ago, in one of our classes. Swami Atma Gyanananda from Washington D.C. Vedanta Center used it. He said, like, words point, usually a word points to something. The word cow points to the idea of a cow, right? It's not the cow directly, but close, right? But imagine if you take the, you make out of clay a bunch of letters, and one of those letters you spell the word clay, right? That's getting closer to how mantras work, right? The, 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 the word clay is also clay. It's made of only clay, the 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 wave is only the ocean, right? You know, so it's like so it's a word. So the word, the name of God, is is a name, but it's like we we out of that clay we made the word clay. Out of God we made the idea of God, or the word God, right? So this Swamiji is hinting. This is why this is the mantra is so important, and then. Uh, um, uh, This pota has one word as its only possible symbol, and this is guess. They know the one one word is the only possible symbol for this pota. Om. That's how we started, right? Om. And as there can be no possible means of analysis separate the separate the word from the idea, Om and the eternal spota are inseparable, and therefore it is out of this holiest of all holy words, the mother of all names and forms, the eternal Om. That the whole universe may be supposed to have been created. But it may be said that, although thought and words are inseparable, yet as there may be various word symbols for the same thought, it is not necessary that this particular word Om should be the word representative of the thought out of which the universe has become manifested. To this objection we reply that this Om is the only possible symbol which covers the whole ground, and there is none other like it. The spota is the material of all the worlds, yet it is not any definite word in its fully formed state. 
That is to say, if all the peculiarities which distinguish one word from another be removed, what remains will be the spota. Therefore, the spota is called Nara Brahman, the sound Brahman. Now, as every word symbol indicated, intended to express the inexpressed spota will be particular, particularized, it is that will, it, it that, sorry, this is, now as every word symbol intended to express the inexpressible spota will be particular, but will so particularize it, they will no longer be the spota. This symbol which particularizes it lest at the same time most appropriate, sorry, it's very complicated and I'm not very good at this, which particularizes it the least and at the same time most appropriate, approximately expresses its nature would be the true symbol thereof. Now, the, uh, uh, the, the word has to be the spota, but it's also going to, like, uh, 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 it's going to, it's going to change it. It's going to be. It's not. It's no longer the purest thing, right? But Om Swamiji is going to make an argument for it. Not only means Brahman. It doesn't mean anything else. It's. It's. It. It, 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 it can't. It's not. It hasn't. Nothing else is polluted. It hasn't. There's nothing else attached to it, right? I'll continue, and then we'll see what how he gives an example that will fill it. Uh, this is Om and Om only, because these three letters, A, U, and M, pronounced in combination as Om, may well be be the generalized symbol of all possible sound. The letter A, or A, is the least differentiated of all sounds. Therefore, Krishna says in the Gita, I am A among the letters. Again, all articulate sounds are produced in the space within the mouth, beginning with the root of the tongue and ending with the lips. The throat sound is ah, and m is the last lip sound, and u exactly represents the rolling forward of the impulse, which begins at the root of the tongue and ends at the lips. Ah is back here, the very first sound possible. M is the last possible sound, right? And u is how you get from ah to um. Ah, um, right? So this one sound represents all sound. No other sound does that. Sounds are... Uh, uh, vowels are just very, are, are, are places within that that we can we think, and consonants are stops to that, right? These are breaks of it. But aum is all vowels together with no breaks, right? So it's a unique thing. It's all it represents all possible sounds, or we could say the all letters or all syllables, or all vowels. Everything is so it's the fullest the fullest picture, right? It's only one more pair. I'm late, but I want to finish the week because next week it's a wholly different topic. I don't want to... <laughs> so, uh, uh, this, therefore, is the fittest sound production and no other word can do this. This, therefore, is the fittest sound of the symbol, fittest symbol of the spota, which is the real meaning of om. And as a symbol can never be separated from the thing signified, om and spota are one or Om and Brahman are one. Furthermore, as a spota, being the first, the finer side of the manifested universe, is nearer to God, as indeed the first manifestation of divine wisdom, this Om is a true symbol of God. Another same Sri Ramakrishna described it, the water from the water comes out of the Ganga at uh, Gangotri, right? And so there it's, a second ago it was ice, right? If it's from ice, it be, immediately becomes water. So that's the purest water of the Ganga. Right, you go to Calcutta, you say that's Ganga water. It's not. It's pure. We believe it's holy, but it's not pure. 
you hold it up and you see things swimming in it. <laughs> it's not exactly, can't see through it anymore, right? But, so that's still Ganga water, right? But the purest Ganga water, that's at the, the very, at Gomuk, the very place where it comes out of the glacier, right? From glacier to water. That's water, but it's also glacier, right? Om, it's the purest possible, it, it's the, the purest water that is the glacier. It's both glacier and water that exact place where it comes out, right? So Om is that exact place where the Spota becomes the manifest, or Brahman becomes Spota, or Spota becomes the manifested universe. Again, as a non-dual Brahman, the Akanda Satyatananda, the undivided existence, knowledge, and bliss can be conceived by imperfect human souls only from particular standpoint, particular standpoints and associated with particular qualities. So this universe... Its body has to be thought of accordance in accordance with a particular trend of the thinker's mind. This direction of the worshipper's mind is guided by its prevailing element or tattva. As a result, the same reality will be seen in various manifestations as a possessor of various predominant qualities, and the same universe will appear full of manifold, manifold forms. Even as in the case of the least differentiated and most universal symbol, Om, Thought and sound symbol are, are seen to be inseparably associated with each other, and also the law, the law and their inseparable sorry, and also this law of their inseparable association applies to the many differentiated views of God in the universe. Each of them, therefore, must have a particular word symbol to express it. This is tight. I won't have time to pull it apart. But how this is true? If it's true of Om, it's also true. Further down, the thing of all the different ideas of God, each one has a name. This is given that Om is the purest mantra, but all the mantra, the mantra that the Guru whispers, is non different from this, is different, different breaks of this. These word symbols evolve out of the deepest spiritual perception of the sages, symbolized and expressed as nearly as possible the peculiar view of God and the universe they stand for. As Om represents the Akanda, the infinite, the undifferentiated Brahman, so the other represent the Kanda, the differentiated views of the same being, the gods and goddesses, the avatars. And they are all helpful in divine meditation and the acquisition of true knowledge. We'll end there. Uh, then from there he'll jump, that's his jump, because his members is all one talk, it's been broken into chapters. But uh, uh, that's the setup for Ishta. Right. He's really building very interesting how he's built it from the very first to the, the to, to the to the final thing, how from Om to the deities to the mantras, how, how Brahman manifests through the different tattvas and and then finally to why we choose one, right? What does it mean? Why do we have one mantra? Why do we have one ishta? You know, very interesting. Thank you for your kind of attention. I would take questions, but. We have RT. Damn, I'll call